welcome, welcome to part 2.3 um, of the passive versus active storytelling and world building mini-series I got going on here at the lab. Um, so please listen to part 1, part 2.1, and part 2.2, uh, so that way this episode will make sense. Um, if it isn't already clear, there are there are going to be a ton of spoilers. There's already been spoilers before. I'm just going to reiterate that you're going to just get more spoilers from this point onwards. Um, so recap, where are we in the, I guess, order of events? So I need to redact something I said before. So uh, let me do my recap first, though. So part one, that's where I define terms, talk about principal locations and characters. Part 2.1. Um, that's where uh, I discussed some of the initial story events and um, uh, I guess certain plot points that occur prior to the game, uh, the game's uh, beginning or prior to when Link wakes up in the timeline. Uh, and then part 2.2 or uh, that includes events that describe what happens right after Link wakes up, i.e. after going to sleep for a hundred years, you find out he's an amnesiac, doesn't remember uh, Jack Squat, um, and then also a lengthy analysis of a major quest that adds to storytelling, character building, and world building in Breath of the Wild. Um, and to keep in mind is that because I kind of recorded that really long segment independent of everything else I've talked about thus far and will continue to talk about, um, I did it mostly because Breath of the Wild is not, like, at, when you play through the game, it's not really a game of continuity. It's a game of, uh, exploration. So it's a little bit unstructured and we're, we're gonna hear more about that as I go on and you'll figure that out too. And if you remember from the part, from the previous parts um, of part two, is that I've created little number designations to indicate at what part in the timeline we are at for Breath of the Wild story. And once again, to reiterate, Breath of the Wild doesn't really follow a strict uh, chronology. Um, maybe for the memories, for sure, there there definitely is uh, um, chronology there um, in terms of things that happen in what order. That does certainly matter. But outside of that really other story elements can be done at any point in time. I'm just doing it in this fashion to hopefully make the most sense. Uh, so uh, without further ado, let's continue on with Breath of the Wild's story well after Link wakes up. So I knew I forgot to men uh, mention something. Uh, so also due to how long uh, these recordings have been, I know it's a little bit weird that part 2.1 was really short compared to literally everything else that's come out after it. Um, but, uh, there will be a part 2.4, uh, and that's where I will conclude with world building. Uh, so, because, uh, yeah, I just want to keep things streamlined for this episode and for it to not be, like, two hours or something ridiculous like that, uh, this, uh, segment will be, like, a mini four-parter thing. All right, back to the main program. So right now we are at part 6.2, saving the champions and the divine beasts. Uh, so obviously a major story point um, in the events that took place 100 years prior is the fact that the divine beasts were overtaken by Ganon ahead of time, giving the champions no chance to retake the beasts in a fair fight. They were slain before they had their chance to take Ganon down in their own way. The fact that Ganon took everyone by surprise 
one of those, I guess you could say, events that marked Ganon's somewhat early return are the the death, like the the champions being slain, with their spirits imprisoned in their now corrupted divine beasts. Uh, things aren't, you know, the 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 divine beasts are just they're kind of a mess right now. So this uh, part six point two essentially is Link can go help out the locals being terrorized by the divine beasts and also make things right. Uh, I.e. saving the champions, their, their spirits, and the divine beasts. So, uh, I described the champions, when I talked about characters in part one, I described the champions in the order of Mifa, Daruk, Rivali, and Urbosa, and just for the sake of structure, that is the order I'll be going in with their respective divine beasts. Uh, so this is just one version of saving the divine beasts, if you will, doesn't have to be done in this order. Let's get into it. Starting off at number one, we have Mifa and Divine Beast Varuta. So Link heads to Link head <laughs> Link heads towards Lanayru in the direction of Zora's domain. The Zora Prince Sidon meets Link at the entranceway of Zora's domain, a long winding path crowded by trees and hilly, like uh, like hilly hills. Yep, uh, due to the heavy rainfall caused by Varuta. Uh, well, Link cannot take an easier route to reach Zora's domain, you know? Um, this is a game of exploration, and actually it's quite easy, or not easy, but uh, sometimes climbing your way to get to somewhere is usually the fastest way. But rain is one of those things in Breath of the Wild that really holds Link back, you know? Because, uh, you know, it'll force Link to slip, because it's, it's rain. Makes sense. Um, but because of that, uh, Link has to take the kind of blue, really pretty uh, walkway. He's to, he has to take that route to get to Zoro's domain, um, which is that long winding path. But the problem is that this path is littered with enemies. So that makes navigation a little bit trickier. After traversing the winding path, Link arrives in Zoro's domain. Sidon takes, Sidon takes Link to meet King Dorafan, the Zoro king and Neath's father. Uh, Dorafan remembers who Link is as, as does his wary advisor Muzu, who blames Link essentially for Mifa's death. Uh, the Zora in general blame Hylians for uh, Mifa's death, so... Uh, I, yep. Dorfan and Sidon explain that the Zora require the help of a Hylian man, however, to stop Varuta's rampage. This is because shock arrows are required to take out Ruta's offensive mechanisms, uh, but the Zora, being anthropomorphic fish people, can't be near anything electric. Uh, so this requires, there's, there's two things needed to take down Vagruta's offensive mechanisms, a Hylian man and, uh, what are called shock arrows. So, uh, kind of on like a, like a large, uh, well not large, but a semi-large plateau, uh, kind of overlooking Zoro's domain. There's a problematic monster called a Lionel, which is described as a man-beast, guarding a small area packed with shock arrows. Uh, so defeating the Lionel is optional, but Link must otherwise very covertly acquire at least 20 or something uh, arrows and things like that. Like, that's that would be one of his tasks uh, if he is enlisted to help. If, sorry, if his help is enlisted by the Zora. Um, however, initially Muzu disapproves of enlisting Link's help, uh, but after Link remembers a memory with Mifa, i.e. remembering who she is after looking at a statue of her, Muzu agrees to having Link help the Zora out. Uh, so Link dons an armor Mifa made for him specifically, known as the Zora armor, which allows him to swim up waterfalls. 
Uh, after donning the armor and then procuring the shock arrows, Link can convene with Sidon at the Rutala Dam, leading to the reservoir housing Divine Beast Baruta. So Sidon has Link ride on his back as they dodge Ruta's attacks. Sidon, once they dodge Ruta's initial attacks, uh, Sidon will bring uh, Link very close to uh, water to a, like to a waterfall that pours out of Varuta. There are like four waterfalls essentially. Uh, so once uh, Link and Sidon have that opening, Link will swim up the waterfall. The force of uh, the waterfall will kind of catapult Link up into the air, and that'll give him a chance to aim a shock arrow at one of these offensive mechanisms. So once Link uh, deactivates those offensive mechanisms using the shock arrows, Sidon departs, and then Link boards uh, Divine Beast Valruta safely. The heavy rainfall ends as a result. So while Varuta is still corrupted by Ganon's power, it's no longer threatening to flood Zora's domain, because that's what it was originally going to do if no one really stopped it from happening kind of thing. Uh, let's see. So, uh, what, what comes next, folks? Well, once inside, Link is guided by Mipha's soul, uh, or Mipha's spirit. I, I, I use those words interchangeably. Uh, so once inside, Link is guided by her spirit, and she instructs him to activate what's called the Guidance Stone, which will allow Link to see a map of the Divine Beast and uh, thereby control it. Uh, and then in turn to deactivate the terminals in the Divine Beast that are consumed by Malice. Freeing up the terminals leads to the main terminal glowing orange. Uh, and usually the, uh, I guess, the pr like the process of uh, freeing these terminals from Malice, it's kind of like a puzzle dungeon kind of format. So uh, that, that that's just a fun fact, I guess. Uh, but anyways. Freeing up the terminals leads to the main terminal glowing orange. Once Link activates the main terminal, Water Blight Ganon emerges from it, proceeding to attack Link. Once Link defeats it, the Blight perishes and Mipha's spirit is released. She gives Link some parting words and blesses Link with her power, uh, known as Mipha's Grace, which allows Link to revive from death once, and then there's a recharge period before it can be used again. Uh, so Link exits the Divine Beast and returns to Zoro's Domain. Meanwhile, Varuta takes its place on a large uh, outcropping, gets in position, and uh, releases a powerful laser attack on the castle. Mipha's spirit awaits the moment to strike once and for all, while also wondering how Dorafan and Sidon are doing. So essentially, and this is going to be the case for the other Divine Beasts as well, is that this isn't so much an attack on Calamity Ganon, but it's like lining up the shot, so that way when uh, the time comes and Link finally confronts Calamity Ganon, uh, the champions, uh, they can, um, uh, shoot at the right time. I'll get into those details a little bit more later. Moving on to number two, Daruk and Divine Beast Balrodania. Link heads towards the, uh, Link heads towards the Elden region, towards Goron City. Once there, Link meets Bluto, the current leader of the Gorons. Uh, he's an elder. Bluto informs him that Vavrudani is preventing the Gorons from digging up ores and freely roaming around the volcano. He also tells Link that his assistant, Yunobo, has gone to the northern mine to procure painkillers uh, pain for him, but he hasn't heard back from Yunobo at all. No one has. Everyone's like, oh, I know that Yunobo went to the northern mine, but we, we don't know where the heck he's gone. Around this time, Link remembers who Daruk is. 
so he recovers a memory of him spending time with Daruk. Link then goes to the mine to investigate, find out what, what you know what's happening with Unobo, defeating enemies along the way, and then realizing that Unobo has been walled in by a lava rock that Rudania rained down on the area. So using a cannon to break the rock open, uh, Unobo is freed, and him and Link return to Goron City. Unobo and Bluto were originally going to take down Varudania together, but due to Bluto's aching back, uh, Link goes in his stead. So Link convenes at Unobo at a cannon outside the Bridge of Elden, uh, where Link saves Unobo from some monsters. Unobo is thankful for being saved and decides to act as a cannonball to make the upright the upright bridge leading to the volcano fall down. Uh, so, Yunobo possesses Daruk's famed ability, known as Daruk's Protection, preventing him from being fatally injured as this ability allows him to create a defensive shell around himself. Once the bridge is lowered, the two navigate a narrow rocky path up Death Mountain, where Link instructs Yunobo when to continue going and when to stop as there are small guardian sentries flying above, dispatched by Varvodania, as well as monsters. So essentially the goal here is that, while playing as Link, you need to probably defeat the enemies in advance, so that way you can allow Yunobo to safely continue forward. The sentries project a pink light onto the ground, so you can see what will be caught in their vision. They also fly and move around, so they're not just they're not just idle. Um, uh, they're actually not that hard to defeat. You just got to figure out the tricks to do it. Um, and like the the reason that I'm mentioning this is because Yunobo will have told Link in advance that every time he's tried to go, he's like the the Goron are kind of like they're 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 on the bigger side, so because of that, because of his size, he can't really hide very well. Whereas Link is a lot smaller compared to Unobo, so uh, a lot more agile and things like that. So that's the purpose of instructing when Unobo can continue forward and then when Unobo uh, should stop and wait until you know Link's kind of cleared the area as well. There are some waypoints on the way up uh, to the mountain that house some cannons. Using the cannon and sending Unova flying into Varudania, the Divine Beast can be weakened and will eventually stop attacking Link and Unobo. And once that's all taken care of, once Varudania has essentially been shot enough times, uh, Varudania enters the mouth of, of the volcano, uh, Unobo sees Link off, and then Link safely lands on, on the Divine Beast. So Daruk's spirit speaks to Link upon entering, instructing him to activate a Guidance Stone and free the terminals from Malice. Once that's out of the way, the main, ter the main terminal starts glowing. Link activates it, releasing Fire Blight Ganon. After the Blight perishes, Daruk's spirit is freed. He gives Link some parting words and blesses Link with his power, known as Daruk's Protection, which allows Link to be defensively invisible uh, for up to three times before requiring a recharge period. Uh, so Link exits the Divine Beast, returns to Goron City. Meanwhile, Varudania takes its place on a large rock outcropping, gets in position, and releases a powerful laser attack on the castle. Daruk's spirit awaits the moment to strike once and for all. Number three, Rivali and Divine Beast Va Meadow. Link travels to the Hebrew region, towards Rito Village. Link meets with the village head, Kennelly, who appears familiar with the events of 10,000 years ago. Uh, although he doesn't connect the dots that Link is the hero from that time. Um, yeah, okay, so I said that Kennelly was familiar with the events of 10,000 years ago. I totally meant 100 years ago, not 10,000. <laughs> My bad! 
Um, he requests Link to work together with the Rito warrior Teba, who has gone off to the flight range and plans to face Vaughn Meadow on his own, as Vaughn Meadow ominously looms over Rito village and patrols the Heber skies, preventing the Rito from freely, freely, freely flying wherever they want. These are anthropomorphic bird folk, so, you know, the lack of flight is probably not ideal. Now, looking at a deck made in Rivali's honor, Link then remembers who Rivali was. So Link goes to the shack where the flight range is. Uh, like there's there's like a little uh, like wooden structure thing. So Link goes to that place uh, where he finds the wary Teba there. Teba does not trust Link and asks him to prove his worth by hitting a certain number of targets within a certain period of time in the flight range. Um, so once Link successfully completes this, Teba agrees to work with him. Teba then flies up and takes Link to the sky, where Vaughn Meadow assumes a powerful barrier and has a bunch of guardian turrets shooting lasers in the sky. So Teba plans to distract Meadow, while Link, using strong updrafts, will fly through the sky and destroy the guardian turrets using bomb arrows. Once this has been successfully completed, uh, Teba departs after his legs were pretty badly injured. He's like, I have to go, I can't help you out anymore. So he leaves and then Link lands on Vaughn Meadow. Rivali's spirit speaks to Link, instructing him to activate the Guidance Stone and free the terminals from Malice. Once that's completed, the main terminal starts glowing, Link activates it, releasing Wind Blight Ganon. After the Blight perishes, Rivali's spirit is freed. He gives Link some parting words and blesses Link with his power, known as Rivali's Gale, allowing Link to create an updraft and fly up high in the air, and that can be used up to three times. I like. I think the interaction between Link and Rivali's spirit for me is a little bit. Uh, it's not that the others are not interesting, but Rivali's the only one who outright didn't like Link. Like he's the only champion who just really, he he just couldn't get around to the idea of accepting Link as the hero kind of thing. He wishes it was him. So for Rivali to be like, you know what, you you saved me in the end. I admit to that. I'm gonna give you my power. It's it's an it's a nice moment, I guess. Um, so Link exits the Divine Beast and returns to Rito Village. Meanwhile, Vaughn Meadow takes its place on a rock pillar. Uh, this, is, this rock pillar is situated right in the middle of Rito Village, and the top of the pillar is shaped like a perch. So Vaughn Meadow gets into position on this perch, releases a powerful laser attack on the castle uh, as it rests on that perch. Rivali's spirit awaits the moment to strike. Uh, Calamity Ganon once and for all. And lastly, number four, Urbosa and Divine Beast Vaughnaboris. Of the divine of the divine beasts to free, this one requires the most prerequisites, and by that I mean stuff to do in advance. So as you can tell, there is like for whether it be a storytelling perspective, and if I were to like, you know, deconstruct it a little bit more gameplay as well, there are steps that you have to take in advance before you can eventually board the divine beast. Free, like activate the guidance stone, free up the terminals, and face the blight that's uh, corrupting that respective divine beast. There's a lot of stuff that leads up to it, but in the case of Vonaboris, this requires the most things to do in advance prior to boarding the divine beast. So Link heads towards the Gerudo Desert, onward to Gerudo Town. Link must speak to um, an individual who's kind of on the. It's a man. He's uh, looking at. Uh, Gerudo town from outside the town entrance and tells you basically that well men are not allowed inside Gerudo town they're a female only civilization um and they're very anti anti-men they're like if you're a man you're not you're not getting inside you can't even sneak inside uh it's not possible 
So this uh, individual suggests that you need to acquire a, what's called a Vi outfit, a female Gerudo outfit, um, from someone located at Karakara Bazaar, which is kind of like this little pit stop area that's on the way to Gerudo Town. Um, so once, uh, you know, Link's, Link's male, so he can't enter the town without the disguise, so he has to backtrack to Karakara Bazaar, meet an individual named Vilia. Vilia uh, will provide Link with the outfit necessary for the infiltration. Uh, so once uh, Link has donned the Vi outfit, he can enter Gerudo Town in disguise um, and meets with the current, uh, the current chief of the Gerudo named Riju. Uh, her backstory is that her mom, uh, uh, her mother, I think, like died abruptly when she was like quite young. So she is very young for a chief as well. Uh, she tells Link about the trouble Vonda Boris is causing um, in the desert by kicking up thick, uh, thick sandstorms and raining down lightning everywhere. Riju also sees through Link's disguise, as does her trusty guard named Boliara. Um, but permits the transgression because the, uh, his help is necessary for the Gerudo to be at peace again. Because, you know, with Vonda Boris creating trouble and whatnot, it ain't, it ain't ideal for life. Uh, and Link also is like, I can calm down Vonda Boris. I'll be very helpful in that. Um, there's something about, I think, the Gerudo guards, because this, this is a female-only civilization, but they are a warrior race. Um, so it's not that the, the Gerudo don't have capable fighters, but there's something about, I think, the last time that the soldiers went out of town or something like that, uh, they were, I don't know, there was some conflict, I think, with the Yiga clan, so a lot of them were quite exhausted at the moment and are not in any state to help Riju, for example, take down, uh, Divine Beast Bonnivorous. Um, so, uh, in any case, uh, moving on, so Riju also adds, uh, that while she was trying to approach uh, Vonda Boris on her own, her sand seal named Patricia. This is this a sand seal is basically a creature that you're you can sand surf with because it has like a little rope. You hold on to the rope and then you sand surf. So Riju has her own sand seal named Patricia. And I think while they were trying to patrol around Vonda Boris, they got caught up in a thick sandstorm. Patricia got scared, and amidst the scuffle, and I guess uh uh. Riju feeling faint, she lost this item known as the Thunder Helm. Um, and that Thunder Helm is important. Uh, it's critical, actually, for taking down Vondaboris, but that was stolen by the Yiga clan. So she can't approach Vondaboris now, even if she agrees to Link helping her out right now, they can't go because she doesn't have that critical helmet. Um, uh, also that like the way that the Thunder Helm works is it creates like a small sphere, like a protective sphere from uh, thunder and lightning and things like that. So it, it's obviously very useful to have as well. So uh, what'll happen is that uh, Link Link needs to go at, at, to the Yiga clan hideout and uh, retrieve the thunder helm. Because once again, the Gerudo soldiers currently can't in, in, in whatever state they're in. So uh, Link first speaks to Captain Teak to get the scope on the Yiga to find out their general location. Then he heads over into Carusa Valley where the Yiga clan hideout is located there. Uh, so once inside, Link must avoid being seen and enter the heart of the hideout. Uh, and after successfully, uh, you know, after this infiltration goes well, 
uh, he'll arrive at this kind of open open part of Carusa Valley. It's like a bit, it's it's open within the canyon. Um, the Yiga clan leader, Master Koga, appears and fights Link. After beating him, Link receives the Thunder Helm and, retu- and returns back to Gerudo Town. Um, uh, and once uh, Link gives the Thunder Helm back to Riju, that's when he recalls a memory with Urboza. So now that Riju's armed with the Thunder Helm, she heads towards uh, an outpost, waits for Link to convene with her. Uh, Link receives bomb arrows from her, and then the two go towards Vonnevoris. So uh, both of them have sand seal, so Riju will have her sand seal, Patricia, and then Link will just have a generic sand seal, and the attack on Vonnevoris begins. So its feet light up in purple, and Link must successfully shoot its feet to prevent it from rampaging further. Now, while it's while it's taking a step, uh, it'll briefly pause, it won't move, that's the time to shoot it. The thing is, is that in between its steps and while it's moving around, um, Vonnevoris will take aim at Link and will release uh, a powerful uh, attack of thunder. If Link is not within Riju's protective shield, then Link will take significant damage from that attack. Uh, so, anyways, once uh, all the like, uh, once Naboris's feet are freed from that from the malice, essentially, because malice is also has that I guess characterization of being purple, that coloration, I should say. Once. Uh, Naboris is uh, successfully taken down, um, Link boards it and Riju departs. Urbosa's uh, spirit speaks to Link when he enters, instructing him to activate the Guidance Stone and free the terminals from Malice. Once that is done, the main terminal starts glowing, Link activates it, which releases Thunderblight Ganon. Arguably, although I don't think there's much debate about this, this is the hardest Blight to face out of the four Blights, the manifestations of Ganon. So after the blight perishes, Urbosa's spirit is freed. She gives Link some parting words, blesses Link with her power, known as Urbosa's Fury, which allows Link to use powerful lightning attacks up to three times before uh, being recharged, uh, before it can be used again, because it re- requires that recharge period, just like the other champion's um, uh, powers. So Link exits the Divine Beasts and returns to Gerudo Town. Meanwhile, Von Boris takes his place on a rock formation in the Gerudo Highlands, gets in position, and releases a powerful laser attack on the castle. Verbosa's spirit awaits the moment to strike once and for all. Alright, folks, so uh, we're getting towards the end of uh, the main story of Breath of the Wild. So let me talk about this next segment part 6.3 the sword that seals the darkness brought back to its master a completely optional main quest but totally worth it link can go back uh can go and get the fabled sword that shows him the master sword located in the depths of korok forest in the northern part of central hyrule so once link navigates a misty path in the forest he arrives uh, in central hyrule forest he arrives in the heart of the forest korok forest meeting with the Deku tree, a very old sentient tree that is like a guardian spirit for uh, the forest spirits. So when uh, Link touches the sword in uh, the pedestal, he experiences a memory associated with the place, seeing that Zelda came here and that the Deku tree basically told Zelda to have faith in the hero. She believes he'll come back for the sword, uh, that kind of thing. And I also mentioned that in part 2.2 in more detail. So if uh, Link has enough health, i.e. 13 hearts minimum, he'll be recognized once again by the sword because, it, you know, if it was, if Link only had like three hearts, for example, it'd just be too easy 
anyone could pick up the sword, right? Uh, so the person who picks up the sword must prove their worth kind of thing, you know? Um, but once he picks up the sword again, uh, it's his to wield. The sword becomes stronger in the presence of malice, things possessed by malice, and of course, Calamity Ganon. So on this note, I will conclude with part 6.4, the true ending of the game. So um, I kind of hinted at this before, but let me uh, mention something uh, in a little bit more detail here. Uh, so Ganon has two phases uh, as the final boss of the game. In his first phase, you face him as Calamity Ganon, known as the Scourge of Hyrule Castle. I believe that's what his official title is called in the game. But here's the thing, right? So uh, playing through the story, right? like the way I talked about the divine beasts and stuff, there's like, there's a lot that goes, uh, there's a lot that happens before you free the, like before you can even attack the divine beast. A lot happens while inside the divine beast. Uh, the acquisition of the champion's respective powers. Um, so that there's a lot going on there, right? But just like picking up the master sword, saving the divine beast from a gameplay perspective in Breath of the Wild is completely optional. So, uh, yeah, so let me tell you what happens when you save all the divine beasts at this stage in the game. So once Link, uh, so this is part 6.4, the true ending of the game. So once Link gets to the inner sanctum at one of the higher points of Hyrule Castle, once he enters that room and sees Calamity Ganon emerge from this cocoon, uh, keep in mind that Zelda is currently imprisoned in Calamity Ganon's body, uh, Calamity Ganon will be about to attack Link. The battle with the Scourge of Hyrule Castle is finally going to begin. But before Calamity Ganon can attack Link, the Divine Beasts, uh, with the spirits piloting them, the spirits of the champions piloting them, they will release that powerful laser attack on the castle. They basically take aim when you free them at first, but when you actually go face Calamity Ganon, that's when they will officially strike you'll see these humongous beams of like of blue light uh, just skewer the top of Hyrule Castle kind of thing. And by freeing all four, um, Ganon's health will be reduced to half. This makes the battle very like a lot more doable, a lot easier uh, when facing Calamity Ganon. It's not the easy, it's, it's, I don't know. I like, I think it was okay, but it like, even if you know what to do, I'm sure it's fine. Uh, it's not the easiest of bosses, it's definitely more challenging than the Blights, but uh, this is obviously super helpful. Saving the Divine Beasts is very poetic as well, because this was their initial purpose. This is what the Divine Beasts were built to do, and the pilots, the champions who are meant to pilot the Divine Beasts, this is what their destiny was. This is, you know, what they were set out to do in life, but 100 years prior they couldn't. So they're fulfilling their own destiny by doing this, and I like that. Here's the thing though, if the player, as Link, chooses not to free any of the Divine Beasts, here's what happens instead. So before Link can even approach Calamity Ganon, um, there will be what I call a boss rush, where you have to face his Blights one by one. So the Blights that corrupted the Divine Beasts will instead appear in the Inner Sanctum if the Divine Beasts have not been freed beforehand. And even if the Blights themselves are not too difficult, with the exception of maybe Thunderblight Ganon. This is very time-consuming, very tedious, not the most ideal when you want to face the final boss of the game. So, although the game 
doesn't necessarily put any work into encouraging the player to save the divine beast like it's emphasized through uh character interactions and dialogue and whatnot i don't know it there's not a lot of emphasis placed on the importance of it it's so helpful though uh so that's just something to keep in mind so and the case would be is that let's say you only freed one divine beast then three blights will come in if you only free two then two blights will come in but if you free three only one blight will come in the thing is is that regardless if you don't free all the divine beasts you're going to be facing the blights uh so that's just something to keep in mind but once calamity ganon is defeated this leads uh, to the next, uh, the second phase of battle against Calamity Ganon, where he assumes the form of Dark Beast Ganon, a giant demonic pig on Hyrule Field. Uh, and Zelda, who is still imprisoned inside Ganon's body, is telling Link from inside Ganon's uh, body that uh, she can create uh, circles, uh, like light magic, I guess, uh, like targets basically yeah so she can create these like light magic targets and if link shoots those targets um uh, it'll weaken dark beast ganon and you're also doing this while on horseback so link is on a horse drawing a bow and arrow and shooting at these like light targets on this humongous pig essentially but once dark beast ganon is weakened enough uh what'll happen is that a bunch of malice eyes will appear at the top of its head so link uh, once he gets the timing right and gets that lucky updraft needs to shoot at all the eyes on dark beast ganon's head and once that final blow is dealt a burst of glowing light shoots up into the sky revealing zelda exiting ganon's body she floats onto the ground looks up at the giant demon pig before her and she starts creating uh she starts storing up her light magic so dark beast ganon roars she continues storing energy to create that strong glow of light. So Ganon's spirit body departs for the sky, rushing down ominously towards her. Zelda holds out her palm as spirit Ganon lunges at her, sealing him away as epically as possible. Uh, the light covers everything in like a gigantic orb, so you all you see is her light magic, and then there's nothing. Zelda tells Link that she's uh, once once the sky is cleared. Uh, it's like day daylight, it's like sunrise kind of thing, so the sky was originally like red to show the malice and Ganon's powers, I guess, because red, black, purple are all the colors associated with him, you know, and that's what every, like, all the surroundings were colored by. Now things look normal. So once things do look normal, Zelda tells Link that she's been watching over him the whole time, saying that, uh, you know, she always believed in him, having never lost faith in him. Uh, she thanks him with a smile on her face, calling him the hero of Hyrule. She asks if he really remembers her. And, you know, it would be quite nice if the player could answer that question and be like, yeah, like, Link remembers who Zelda is if you went through recovering all of, his, all of his memories. So the two approach Hyrule Castle, kind of give it one last look and then turn around. Uh, and all the spirits watch over as they leave. So Mipha, Daruk, Ravali, and Arbosa spirits all looking over, as well as King Rome's. So King Rome's spirit, uh, he lingers a little bit longer uh, as the other the four champion spirits depart. Zelda and Link both turn around again after King Rome's spirit, uh, after his spirit leaves. So there's like a little bit of an indication that Zelda like felt something or feel like or felt like she saw something. Uh, but anyways, they walk off and then that's it. Here's where we get to the final true ending of the game.
So if Link recovers all of his memories, uh, we find an ending cutscene where Zelda and Link are somewhere in Hyrule Field, and she tells Link that Baruta isn't working properly for some reason, and that that's something that they need to investigate. She wants to ki- she wants to give King Dorfan some closure about Mifa, and adds that quote, although Ganon is gone for now, there is still so much more for us to do, and so many painful memories that we must bear. End quote. Uh, she talks about one day restoring Hyrule to its former glory. Uh, and uh you know she starts walking ahead and says that she can no longer hear the voice uh the voice in the sword saying uh that that that's plausible that makes sense uh if her powers have dwindled over the past hundred years um because uh if you remember from the whole spiel about link's memories the final memory shows the scene of his death essentially but she hears a voice in the master sword essentially telling her that link is on like the brink of death, but he's not dead yet. So if you heal him up, he can be revived essentially and can help you seal away Ganon once and for all. That time is not now, he needs to be healed, otherwise he will die. So because she heard that voice a hundred years ago, uh, she's just commenting about that now. But while she's walking, she turns around to face Link and says, quote, I'm surprised to admit it, but I can accept that end quote. And that's an interesting aspect about character growth because I just want to take a minute to talk about this a little bit more. So um let's see a lot of zelda's character arc was characterized by her not being able to harness her power or hear any voices there is a a memory at the spring of power where she talks about the fact that her grandmother and her mother were very uh like it came naturally to them um her mother harnessed the power like her the goddess powers completely on her own and i think something like her grandmother heard uh heard a voice So she wasn't hearing any voices of any kind, but uh, her, you know, not being able to hear the voice right now and take comfort in that, it's, it's like Zelda's just able to be who she is now without having to worry about all those things that kind of plagued her in the past. So it's like once she's had her power, she has this renewed sense of purpose and strength confidence and it's it's just nice to see so she smiles and then link kind of catches up with her as they return to their horses uh numerous silent princess flowers grow on the hills as the shot pans out and we get the end credits of the game folks so you made it uh this was part 2.3 which talks about how uh breath of the wild its story and stuff, what happens uh, once you play through the rest of the game, essentially, main story points. Uh, It's now time to get into part 2.4, where I will talk about how Breath of the Wild world builds. I'll see you there, folks.